Welcome. You're listening to Value Add with Lars Coburn, bringing conversations and reflections that add value to your life. Well, everyone, it's time for another episode of Value Add, and each of you adds value to the world. And that's what we believe as Christians is that we are all created in the image of God, a God who values his creation so much so that he sent his son Jesus. And don't forget that. Add value to your world. I hope that the conversation today uh, will be one that brings out value to your life. I sat down with Joel Foster, who did the quiet times for our teen camp this year. And the last two episodes were recorded at teen camp. Unfortunately, Joel and I weren't able to record the podcast there. We ended up having to push it to another week. And then before we got to uh, record it at King's Camp, the next camp we were going to be at a week later, uh, there was a fire and our camp was had to be canceled. And so it took me a little bit of time to get around to recording this episode with Joel. But I really, really want to stress uh, that the times in the morning when we slow down and become present to God uh, are just beautiful. I think that's one of the most beautiful parts of doing summer camp with students is actually forcing myself to also do the quiet times alongside them. And so this year, I wanted to sit down with Joel because the quiet time theme and the whole camp theme of Echoes really struck me as something that we need to talk about, something that should add value to our life. But so often, quiet times and trying to hear the echoes of God actually becomes burdens and they're not adding value to our life. They're actually taking away from our life. And so I think it's really important that we center ourselves on some good practices, some practices that do add value. And maybe it's just a little bit of a change of perspective. So I hope you're blessed by this conversation with Joel as we uh, got to sit and look out at the ocean. Not sure what you're looking at today, but I hope that it adds value to you. All right, we're here. I'm out at Malibu looking out at the ocean again. Um, and I'm, this time I'm with uh, Joel Foster recording a conversation. He's a uh, graduate, apprentice, intern, I'm not yep. sure. Yeah. It, all of those combine things. Combine them all. Combine that them works. all at the University um, Christian Church or Church of Christ. Church of Christ, sorry. They're, they're the only ones that you would know, get upset about that. That's right, so. yeah. So, uh, we, you know, I'm, I'm out here at Pepperdine. It's, it's actually a Christian school for those that didn't know <laughs> that. It is. Uh, has a church on campus. Um, so yeah, Joel, give us the 30-second elevator pitch of who you are and what you're, what you're uh, doing here on the podcast. Sweet. Um, like Lars said, my name is Joel Foster, and I am in my second year of grad school at Pepperdine. I'm doing an MS in Practical Theology and Ministry. Um, I work with the University Church of Christ here on campus with their youth group. Um, so kind of my role is to oversee a team of interns uh, and just kind of incorporate intergenerational community uh, with our teens in Malibu, um, both at Malibu High and on campus here at Pepperdine as well. Um, I love it, love working with teens, um, love seeing them jump at the idea of Jesus and, and what that looks like for them. So it's been, it's been a fun couple of years, but um, we'll see what's, what's next. Yeah. So you grew up um, out here in L.A.? Um, I like to call L.A. home. I, I grew up all over the country. Dad was in the okay. Air Force, so Ohio, Texas, New Mexico, Virginia, D.C., and then ended up in L.A. freshman year of high school. Okay. Um, and, and have just 
claimed California heritage since. Uh, wow. Because the Midwest is not is not quite where I want to be <laughs> labeled all the time. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you are kind of the quintessential Malibuian or Thank you. you know LA you. person I'll um, take that. with your uh, funky coffee and different things that That's you right. get into. But um, I I guess first time I met you was at uh, Teen Camp mm -hmm. and uh, Kings Camp doing um, these camp ministries together. Um, and I know uh, just the influence that your family has had on, uh, as your mom's been the camp nurse for many years yeah, too. Yeah, since um, I was a senior in high school. Yeah, so uh, she's been doing it for quite a while and that's that's been a great blessing. Um, and uh, your sister is a senior this year? Yeah. Okay, so um, getting to have her in, in our camps too has been a blessing. So just your family in general, um, are a blessing and have added value. And so that's that's why you get to be on the podcast. You, Sweet. You've added value to my life. Sweet. Thank um, you. you may not be super familiar with the project, and so I'll take this chance just to remind people like what the podcast is about. It's uh, conversations and reflections that add value to a, someone's life, cool. um, my life in particularly. So I'm um, sharing these conversations and some of my own reflections in hope that people will um, have things that stick with them, remind them. Obviously, most of the conversations so far have been about faith and mm -hmm. Christianity, um, but we broaden those out to things about how teaching and, and different ways of life and practices, uh, exercise, health, those kind of things that, that can add value. So um, I'm just excited to have you here and um, and share some of those things with us. One of the, the things that we do when we get together with um, the students out at teen camp uh, is to have the quiet times and so I have our, our camp booklet with me and um, and you got the privilege of writing the quiet times yeah. or maybe the the, the chore it's, it was a privilege it was, it, was, a privilege. it was for sure a privilege yeah um, so each morning students are given um, just some time about a half an hour or mm. so to reflect and to pray and uh, your your take on the quiet times was was really encouraging this year i wanted to tell you that um so just speak for a moment about uh how the directors approached you uh, how they let you know about the theme the theme mm -hmm. was echoes yeah um it, it was a funky year in planning for camp just because for the last four years or so i i've been in charge of kind of the rambunctious high energy like get the kids excited for what is coming next in camp time like mm -hmm. camp light and so i went into the summer thinking yeah, yeah camp light's gonna be so sick like i'm so excited to to get kids pumped and we're gonna do this improv game and, and we'll do this and we'll do that yeah. it's gonna be so awesome and scotty and i'll get up there and throw some water balloons or something and and then the the directors emailed me and they're like hey we'd really like you to do the quiet times mm -hmm. i was like i mean that's like not high energy but like i think i can do that um and so i i began to wrestle with like what what would a quiet time look like from me uh mm. from like my point of view i guess and um in that kind of began to have conversations with the directors uh, mainly dusty because he's on campus and like was the easiest to to access um about what echoes meant and my first thoughts with it were oh well like this is easy like you just talk about when god speaks to god's people and mm. and like that's that's something that you can just build quiet times off of um, like we can talk about the burning bush and we can talk about this, talk about that, talk about Balaam's donkey. Why not? Yeah, why not? Um, and the more I thought about it, 
I realized that was more the direction the directors were taking with their times, like kind mm. of laying out what it looks like when God speaks. Um, and so I, I kind of backed away from that and had to think about what would hit kids in a different way, but still gets at the same theme, mm-hmm. um, which is why I came to the idea of, of doing the Psalms and, and talking about God's people's response to God's echoes. Mm. Um, so just taking the echo side from the, the people perspective rather than the divine. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, jumped out at me right away um, that we, you know, we give them a time of quiet time, mm-hmm. and that's a practice. Um, we tell them they have to be outside. That's kind of a form of practice, mm-hmm. be in nature. Um We've removed things like their cell phones from camp, yeah. so that's a practice. Um, we encourage them to open up scriptures, so that's a practice reading. Um, but I was uh, struck that you started off every quiet time with a specific practice, um, a, a form of prayer, centering yeah, prayer, centering I believe. Prayer, yeah. yeah. So give a little explanation of what that centering prayer was and why you yeah. chose that as the opening. Um, that's just sort of been something that I have begun to incorporate into my spiritual uh, formation in life over the last couple of years. Um, mostly starting with, it, it kind of stemmed out of a breath prayer mm. uh, that I have begun to try and incorporate into my mornings and still fall short way too often. Um, but just breathing in the name, breathing in and out the name Yahweh mm. uh, to kind of center yourself on, even if it's not going into a long, quiet time or a 45-minute prayer session, just starting your morning, centering yourself on the divine name and also the divine breath, in a sense, um, and kind of that idea that from that point on, I'm, I'm focusing my day around the idea that every breath I take is a gift and every breath I take is meant to um, push me towards towards what the kingdom should look like. Um, and so for me, it, it was a, a chance to say, I remember being a student at teen camp. I remember quiet times and having a really hard time getting into them mm-hmm. uh, with just opening it and it saying, go ahead and read First John chapter 3, like this, this. And I was like, well, okay. like And having to read it six or seven times to kind of get into it. Mm-hmm. So I, my desire was for there to be a space where teens from the start could center themselves on what the purpose of it was. Um, and so I don't, remember exactly what I wrote but I remember it had to do with being present and so I think it was breathing in the phrase I am here and breathing out the phrase you are here Mm -hmm. kind of just a prayer to God to say like God I'm present here and and I'm asking that you're present with me as well uh, to remind them that that this space is for them and God it's not them and their neighbor it's not Mm -hmm. their counselor and them Uh, it's not their church and them it's specifically their chance to to connect with God at their own pace Hmm. so yeah and and so I mean as I had to practice it as well, um, as one of the counselors, you know, sitting with my students, um, you know, I really felt like it helped me, uh, by naming the distractions, the things I was hearing. Um, we're out in the woods sort of, but we're actually in town in Idlewild. So it's, it's a little funny, like hearing the backup of like a big truck or something Mm -hmm. beeping out in the distance. So it's not quite the quiet of the forest. Mm -hmm. But at the same point, being able to, to put those distractions aside and have that practice, um, definitely have found that to be of value to, to my own life. Um, you know, one of the things that I think uh, yoga and some other forms of uh, mindfulness and things mm-hmm. have helped me become aware of is that my breathing 
Um, I, if I pay attention to my breathing, I'm paying attention more to my body and to my uh, self, my, my actual uh, emotions and feelings as well. And that can be a helpful form uh, to at least practice before I enter into prayer. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, and so I think that uh, that's definitely a helpful practice to introduce students to. I mean, obviously, you know, we can't force them to practice it. So we are not sure how many of the hundred or so teens practiced it. But I think um, that's what the benefit of, of having different people like you um, doing the quiet times and sharing that responsibility brings brings exposure. Um, so let's zone in a little on, on echoes. Um, you know, you mentioned that it's kind of about hearing, uh, God, God, God's people hearing him speak. Um, so now that we've been through the, what the directors had to teach and kind of had some time about a month or so to just kind of process, um, what did, what was some of your takeaways from the whole experience, um, and the theme of echoes? Um, I think one of the, the biggest takeaways from kind of the whole week um, was just a, a continual reminder that that there isn't one set way, I guess. Uh, like, I, I think, I don't think this was ever explicitly said to me that, like, God only speaks in one way or you only hear God or respond to God in one way. But I think I kind of, like, subconsciously got that from the church growing up. Um, like, I remember in high school thinking, like, having moments where I thought, like, it wasn't okay to be angry at God or frustrated with with the way things were going in the world. And so it was kind of like a passive response to whatever happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, something that I liked was was that the directors kind of made space for the uncomfortable and, and kind of said to teens, like, it's okay if you're frustrated. It's okay if tears come out. Um, it's okay for you to be jumping with excitement but also be like crying on the floor like those are okay responses Mm -hmm. Um, and also don't expect God to specifically speak one way to you Um, I think that like diversity and that variety that was given throughout the week uh, I I think is something that teens took away and at least in conversations with teens at UCC um, that was something they took away of of just that it kind of gave them permission to not be okay all the time Mm. so yeah, that and I, I appreciated. Um, I think the opening um, set of time was focused on, um, you know, kind of being introduced to new ways that God might speak to you and trying something new. Yeah. But then also reaffirming the ways that um, we most often think mm-hmm. God speaking. But then, kind of in the middle of the week being introduced to this idea that God might be silent mm-hmm. and there are times of silence. So how did you, um, you know, let, let's come kind of go back to your own personal growing up and story. Uh, was there a time where you felt God was silent? And what, if so, what was that mm-hmm. like? Yeah, I, I got a very fortunate life through high school. Um, I, I mean, even still now, like I, I would not tell people that I've had insane hardships Um, but my freshman year at Pepperdine after going through four years of youth group and going to teen camp every summer and feeling like all these spiritual highs and whatnot, um, and going to Pepperdine with the intent to pursue ministry, uh, I went to a campus ministry retreat where I don't think this was the point of the person speaking. Like, I don't think this was their goal, but I left with thinking you're not a good Christian if God hasn't put you through a a fire, um, which I, I don't believe is true. 
I think fires are used by God, but I don't believe God's like, well, this is a terrible Christian, so I'm, I should probably put him through a fire now. Yeah. Um, but I remember leaving that and, and going outside because we were at a big like campground and like standing on a, a picnic table and just praying like, all right, God, like apparently I'm not a good Christian. That's what the speaker said. Uh, throw me your worst and like I'll still worship you. Um, and like backing up to that, I would never recommend that for people. Um, <laughs> I, I just don't think that's a, a wise prayer necessarily. Um, but it turned out to be um, kind of the essential piece of my like current faith walk is that I then went abroad mm. to a program that had been preached to me as the greatest year of my life and like what I was supposed to expect and I would live next to a castle so everything would be good like that's just how it works and <laughs> um, got caught up with some like iffy friends like kind of just like subpar friends that weren't really concerned about my well-being um, and turned into like low quality relationships and then my grandpa passed away and and so to be a kid that had had really easy existence up to that point like i i would not i would not say to certain people that my hardships are harder than theirs ever um i wouldn't say that to anyone but for me at that point it was it was like the absolute low and it seemed like one thing after another was getting stacked Mm -hmm. on and come second semester i remember walking alone through Heidelberg which is where I was for the year and standing on a a park bench and looking over the city and just like shaking my head and being like I I asked for this like this is this is on me type of thing Um, and choosing in that moment to I think I wrote it in the quiet times because it's kind of defined my faith walk is choosing to grow better and not bitter in that Mm -hmm. moment Mm -hmm. Um, and and choosing to say like God I asked for fires how are you choosing to grow me through them like how how can I grow through these like and not saying God thank you for just putting me through the worst possible situation but saying God I'm in this situation I don't see you working uh, but but I ask that you show up and at least be present with me mm-hmm. in it um, and I took a lot of comfort in like the book of Job in that kind of time period and, and I really like that whole year did not feel like spiritually motivated to per se um, mm-hmm. Like, I, I kind of read my Bible because I felt like I needed to, because if I didn't, I felt like I was just drifting away from the silence. Um, and so it was kind of just a stubborn pushing through silence rather than a, a sitting with it. Um, but I'm grateful for it now because I, I think it's taught me how to sit in the silence. Um, I, I think I can look back on that time and say, okay, I, I like what I did on certain train rides when I just sat in the uncomfortable like frustration of my own angst, I guess, um, and kind of recognized there was something bigger going on. But then I don't like how I treated people in that angst or how I responded to God or sometimes feeling a lack of response to a lack of God um, is what it sometimes seemed like to me. And so I think I can step back now and say, yeah, like I see, I saw God working and so now I can see God working, even if it sounds like silence, even if it is silence. Um, and it, it kind of just gave me hope in, um, in a continual, I guess, cycle of, of redemption that is working, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, and I, I think it was, um, you know, interesting uh, that the whole um, culmination of really the the theme of echoes wasn't so much about uh, even 
digesting the stories where the big, huge stories where God seems to speak, mm-hmm. like the burning bush or even Balaam's donkey and things like that, the the emphasis was in um, being equipped, being ready um, to engage in hearing God um, in the mediocre, in mm-hmm. the normal, in the everyday. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily saying that we need to go out and be people who spend eight hours a day reading the Bible or um, and being realistic that not all of us are going to be have the time or the discipline to do a quiet time every morning mm-hmm. just because we're at teen camp we feel mm-hmm. like we can and we structure for that but that's not always going to be the structure for everyone else um, so how can we be equipped mm-hmm. to hear God as we're riding on the train or as we're uh, dealing with the angst of life mm-hmm. how can we be equipped to hear God speak through our church family even when maybe they're saying platitudes to us that don't mean as much or we're not mm-hmm. sure what to do with um, the friends who seem to, to leave us um, mm-hmm. or the books and media that we consume you know I, I think God does speak through the mm-hmm. creative uses of media and different things around us I don't um, I haven't totally rejected TV and everything like that myself um, I think we're God can still speak yeah, yeah that's right if God can still speak through those things he can echo through yeah uh, through that and um, so like having those spaces where um, we're not just interpreting uh, God's voice as through the through the median of other people's mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. Um, but also getting getting equipped and ready to hear God speak through the things that he uses to speak to us um, I think was a really helpful way to digest through that I I think um, for me, especially the way that you walk through the different kinds of psalms. So let's let's think about that a little bit. You've done some graduate work, um, and I, I can tell uh, you really think deeply about the psalms. So uh, tell me just a little bit about what you uh, you know were intending with the different mm-hmm. psalms, and um, and then maybe a little bit about how the psalms have added value to your life. Yeah. Um, phew. How have the Psalms added value to my life? Um, I, I think, like growing up, the Psalms to me were just things that that got put into worship songs, mm. um, and then they just got cool when I could read a Psalm in the tune of the song that I was, or the song that I knew. I'm um, like creating me a clean heart, like those songs. Yeah. Um, but then, like, beginning to read them as, okay, like, this is ancient Israelite poetry and music and and reading it in that way like does it still add value to my life and I think my desire with it was to to tell teens and to show teens hopefully um, yeah this this old poetry this old songbook uh, still means something to you and, and just because it was written so many years ago by different people at a different time like it's their response to how they feel or don't feel God um, in really big ways and in really small ways um like i kind of like to think that if if i were a psalmist today like i could write a psalm about what it feels like to surf and like feel god's presence in those moments um and that that would translate Mm -hmm. thousands of years later type of thing and so kind of my i guess my desire with it was yeah we sing a lot of the really happy psalms 
Um, or we like twist them and give them tunes so that they sound really happy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but really the underlying, um, I guess, message of some is not always just like the first line. Or with that, just because the first line says something like, oh God, you've pierced an arrow into my kidney. Um, it doesn't mean that, that the overall like response of the psalmist is um, kind of a frustrated, like middle finger to God moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but rather there, there like seems to be to me an overall storyline of, um, even though they're all separate Psalms, there seems to be a storyline of like our God is working in our story and this is how we as his people respond. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I included Psalms like praise the Lord, like, like hallelujah over and over and over and over. And I included Psalms like my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, kind of to show the teens like two ends of the spectrum and then give them Psalms in between. Mm. Um, kind of to remind them that that there's not one right way or another right way or a specific way to approach God or to respond to God or to try and figure out how to respond to God. Um, but that for thousands of years, God's people have been reading these words, have been singing these words, and have recognized that, that our God accepts uh, our joy with the same openness that he accepts our sorrow with the same openness that he accepts our um, anger, with the same openness that that he accepts our um, kind of ecstatic view of of the world around us. Um, Because there's psalms that talk about nature and how that worships God, and there's psalms that talk about um, just our own mess and, and disaster that gets crowded in our heart, and then we come before God to say, like, I messed up, and God still takes it all. Um, and so I I hope that made sense, but kind of the purpose was to show them there's no right way. There's no A plus B equals correct worship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I I love how you um, continually emphasize that the, what the Psalms are as like a response to God, God's people's response to God speaking to them. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, one of the things that, um, I've wrestled with in my master's degree and, and study um, is some misconceptions uh, of the text. And, mm. and we've had some good conversations about how, you know, kind of our love for uh, stories that we were just talking about this earlier yeah. before we started recording about how, you know, reading about um, Noah's Ark in Sunday school and, and kind of singing the, the animals came two by two and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And then reading about Noah's Ark in graduate school is so radically different. Yeah. It's it's almost more beautiful, but is also uh, an experience where we have to kind of ask some deeper questions and Absolutely. correct some misconceptions that we had. Mm-hmm. And as we do that with the Psalms, I think um, one of the you know people who uh, helped me kind of think about the Psalms in a, in a new way. Um, Eugene Pearson had mm. some good conversations actually with Bono about them that Fuller Theological Seminary recorded on their Fuller studio. And I was, um, I, w- I guess I was surprised that I still in graduate school even had some misconceptions about mm. the Psalms and that I was still trying to kind of put on them something they're not asking to be. They're they're not necessarily telling me about God as much as they're telling me a response mm-hmm. of a person who has experienced God. Yeah. And I've relegated so much of my experience of God to being intellectual and thought and 
rational and everything mm. like that, that I don't, uh, that I personally struggle with my emotions. And so reading Psalms that are, uh, have these different emotions, even like you said, from the beginning to the end, a, a turn of, if you will, seemed weird to me, um, even in, in, even in graduate school. And so, uh, hearing how other people have found ways to express their emotions, what they're feeling about God, um, has helped me realize that, that that's something the Psalms can teach me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one of the ways I struggle to hear the echoes of God or to express my response to God is that I struggle to deal with the emotions that I'm actually feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so letting the Psalms be a, a pattern, be a, a teacher, if you will, of mm-hmm. how God's people can respond to his echoes um, is super helpful. And, and so you had some prompts for us to, to do. Um, I, won't, I won't have you explain all of them, but um, I do think it was interesting that you tied in um, the reflection of Psalm 22 uh, to Jesus's um, kind of quotation to that in Matthew 27 um, and you had the students read that passage um, so uh, your your question for them to reflect on uh, was in what area of your life do you need to surrender complete trust to God mm. and I, I guess I would just ask you um, how uh, how did you see the complexity of the psalmist and what the psalmist was expressing and maybe what the New Testament writers were trying to use it and Jesus mm-hmm. on the cross? Like, how did you see those things at play and how did those things lead you to this question for the students? Yeah, um, I think what, what it kind of came out of was um, reading the entire psalm and, and like reading, reading the line like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And like as a Christian, I read that and I go, "Oh, Jesus said that on the cross." Like that, like I know that line. But then we we kind of just stop there and think, "Oh yeah, like Jesus cried this this terrible cry of forsakenness and mm-hmm. felt so alone on the cross." And then you continue to read the Psalm and it, it ends in a statement of like, like trusting and putting hope in, like the redemption that God offers. Um, and so I think what it was for me was recognizing that, like Jesus saying that on the cross was more than just Jesus crying. A cry of forsakenness, but but starting a quote from the psalm, um, and and Jesus on the cross is like the ultimate act that we then can trust in, hmm. um, and so I guess what it was for me was was Jesus saying, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" We then recognize and say, "My God, My God, you'll never forsake me." So then, what like if that's something we know we can say, what then do we why why then do we hold back? Like why then do we not put complete surrender or complete trust? Um, and not to say that, like, well, actually not even to say that, but like, I'm not perfect at it by any means. Um, but I, I like read that Psalm and then I read Jesus's cry on the cross. Um, and I think it, it can go deeper than just like how deep the father's love for us. Like the father turned his face away, you know, like, I think it goes way deeper than that. Mm. Um, I, I think it's Christ on the cross choosing to say that Psalm. Um, is Christ choosing to say yes like like I feel alone this kind of sucks not even kind of this sucks but have hope take heart like I'm doing this so that you never have to say this um, and so I think that was my goal with them 
reading the whole psalm and then reading it in light of Christ on the cross. Um, and it, it kind of fit nicely because that was Fridays. And so I was like, oh, good Friday. There we go. Yeah, uh, yeah. But that, that was kind of the, the thinking behind it is reading the whole psalm and, and saying, all right, Jesus quoted the first line of it. What does that tell us about the, I guess, a deeper look, um, kind of a, a closer reading of that line? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and can teens start to say like, oh, like if we can think about the cross that way with this one line from the psalm, can we then think about something Paul says that quotes the Old Testament and what like that one line from Joel that, that so-and-so uses or like that one line from Isaiah or like whatever it may be. Like if I look at the whole chapter or even the whole context of it, does that give me deeper meaning? And do I think every student left and was like, oh, like I'm going to go do close readings of the text. Like, <laughs> no, that would be awesome. But um, just to kind of get them to think, oh, like this book is, is interwoven and it's, it's real people's words mixing with other real people's words. And it, it gives me a beautiful story that I can trust in, um, that I can hope in. I, I think that was kind of the, the hope for it or the goal for it. Yeah. So as you, you know, teach and lead um, teens, we, you know, we use the, the idea of adolescence, I guess, is a little bit difficult because it's being elongated now mm-hmm. and... Um, I just turned 27 and some people would say, you know, you're yeah. not, you're not out of, uh, yeah. you're not actually an adult. You're still an emerging adult until you're 29. I'm and all 23 those and I, I like to think that. Yeah. So. So, um, so in some ways it seems silly to say that you're leading adolescence when yeah. in, in many ways you are maybe an adolescent mm-hmm. still, but as you prepare these quiet times and as you teach and lead your specific um, youth group and campus ministry groups that you're part of, um, what's your, what's your hope for them as, uh, they develop, and we, let's just stick with that term quiet time. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that it, it carries some baggage for people. Maybe we would say, you know, a, a spiritual discipline mm-hmm. or spiritual practice, uh, or mindfulness. But, um, uh, since camp was, uses that language, quiet time, let's stick with that. So what's your hope for adolescence, um, and the people that you lead? in terms of developing their own quiet times? Hmm. I think I would say my hope would be that they would experience um, renewal and transformation through personal, intimate relationship with with God um, and, and saying God as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, that their their experience of God would not be limited to what they hear on Sunday or would not be limited to what they're told at school. Um, what, like whatever side they hear at school, um, would not be limited to what their parents say, but, but that they would have intimate, um, experiential worship moments, um, with the divine. Uh, and, and I think of that in terms of, I know like at teen camp, we talked about how we don't always most of the time don't get burning bush moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think Moses's response of, or I guess God speaking to Moses saying, take off your shoes. Like this is holy ground. Like I would hope that creating a quiet time, um, spiritual discipline, discipline formation, whatnot would be a, a space where students, um, could say, yeah, this is my, my holy ground. Um, and I don't think it has to be a specific place. I, I think it's more of like a state of, of the heart and mind, um, but I guess my hope would be that, that students could think like, and this is good, this might sound really bad, but my hope would be that students don't just have to think, yeah, I have to read my Bible every morning for me to have a quiet time. 
but that students could then choose to look at the world differently because they've started doing quiet times and say, mm -hmm. me surfing on a Wednesday morning with a bunch of buds, like, and, and letting the divine, like, letting God be present in that space, like, that was my quiet time. Um, or, like, sharing a meal with people that don't look or think the same as me, like, that is my quiet time today. Um, and, like, allowing God into all moments rather than allotting, like, a 15-minute segment to read the Bible and, and try and pull something from it when it mm -hmm. oftentimes can seem distant and frustrating. Um, that would be my hope, is that mm -hmm. tangible experience turns into a, a shaping for how they view people in the world. Yeah, so uh, one of my favorite things to, to think about is, um, and it, it's probably not the best term, but um, we, we deconstruct or we have these moments mm -hmm. of disorientation. And, um, and what I, I don't necessarily love those moments. I, I think those moments happen. <laughs> After the and uh, I love the reconstruction, yeah. the bringing yeah, yeah, it back together, the constructive task, whatever. Um, I think it's hard to do the constructive task in a helpful way if you didn't have the critical mm -hmm. task or the, the unraveling thing. Absolutely. Um, and so what you're basically describing is that your hope for students is that they won't have, um, that they won't have a spirituality that is tied to some misnomers, some things, but is tied to um, an experience of God. Mm -hmm. And I think to do that, um, you know, we've experienced moments of where the um, things have been deconstructed. So, um, you know, one of the things that I often uh, point to is the five senses. Um, mm. So everything about our world, um, we can touch, taste, feel, you know, uh, see, all those kind of things are, are the ways that we relate to things we think are objective truth mm. so the the ocean is blue because i see it as color blue mm -hmm. uh the sky whatever the water is cold because i touch it and it's cold mm -hmm. um you're here because i can see you and you know reach out and touch you um people on here can hear us mm -hmm. talking um but that has been tugged at and deconstructed for me that not everything I taste, touch, see, mm -hmm. feel um, is the complete picture of reality, mm -hmm. especially when I come to God. Um, so I grew up um, with some experiences in charismatic movements. Mm -hmm. um, my my parents are Church of Christ heritage, so I'm, I'm Church of Christ through and through. But um, <laughs> And I've worked Pure only, blood. yeah, yeah. I've only worked in churches <laughs> of Christ. But at the same point, when we were living in um, Southeast Asia, with my dad working for Nike, we worshipped in a church that was charismatic mm. and had people who believed in um, touch healing and um, different tongues that they were gifted to that weren't necessarily other languages, but a, mm -hmm. a specific prayer language that God had gifted them. And I, I have friends who, who uh, have a. a gifting of, of tongues and, and prayer language to this day. And so I'm not limited God. I, you know, I'm not a cessationist for those of you who uh, get that, which most Church of Christ people are, um, that the Holy Spirit just has kind of ceased giving these dramatic gifts that mm -hmm. we find in the New Testament. But at the same point, I haven't experienced those myself, mm -hmm. right? So that hasn't been my experience of God. I haven't limited God, put him in a box, but I haven't yet 
been gifted a, a specific prayer language to have this intimate communion, yeah. communion with the Holy Spirit. I haven't um, experienced physical touch healing or uh, some of the other manifestations of, of mir- miraculous gifts. So when we talk about the experience of God that we want mm-hmm. you know, students to reconstruct in their faith, um, it looks differently for some, mm-hmm. right? So Absolutely. for some of the Christian movements in our, our world, especially they embrace this more tangible five senses. Like if, if you're having an experience of God, it, it's a vision that you literally see, you hear the audible voice of God, you, you can touch and mm-hmm. experience the Holy Spirit. Um, and that's just not been my experience. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, I'm okay with that. Um, I've reconstructed a much more uh, experiential um, intimacy with God because the five senses has been deconstructed. Or, or maybe people would call the age of reason or enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Modernity has been uh, deconstructed for me. So, so that's been my journey for yeah. how I've gotten to reconstruct an experience of God just share yours kind of initially like what do you mean by a intimate experience of God and how do you wrestle with that in terms of was there some things misnomers in your Mm -hmm. mind whether it's a philosophical thing like the one I'm talking about enlightenment Mm -hmm. or or was it some other things that had to be deconstructed before you got to where you are yeah um I did not grow up Church of Christ technically um I I like was dedicated in a United Methodist, like hey. baptized in a apparently a Pentecostal, but I was like I was nine years old, so I don't really I don't remember people speaking in tongues, but my parents are like, Oh no, people definitely did that. We didn't, but people did. I was like, Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Spent time in Southern a Southern Baptist church, which was like shout out to my Southern Baptist friends, but that's not for me. Um, <laughs> and uh, ended up in a church of Christ and, and was like, Oh, this is so much different. Everyone's so serious and smart. Um, but and there's no music either. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what happened to the guitar? Like, what, like, what is what is going on? Um, but I, I mean, you mentioned it a little bit earlier in the podcast is, is you talked about like um, not necessarily devaluing other people's experiences and like kind of teaching students that um, other people in their worship of God can look different and that's okay. Uh, and one, I, I think that alone is huge. Like that's something I've wrestled a lot with and struggled with over the last um, last couple of years and just that I, like I've never believed that my way was the right way mm. in terms of like acapella music is the correct Christian way to worship or like like you have to be Church of Christ or you have to at least be Protestant you know like I've, yeah. I've never thought yeah. that um, but I, I think subconsciously I thought yeah yeah like my way is not necessarily the right way but it's probably the better way mm-hmm. um, or it's not the right way but for most people, it should be the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, or there's more people that experience it, therefore, it's probably more correct. And mm-hmm. I think that was like underlying my view of other people. Um, and that I've had a lot of moments where that's kind of been flipped on its head at Pepperdine when I was in Uganda for two months, just experiencing like going to a Pentecostal church yeah. In, yeah. in East Africa where it's way different than different. a Southern California Church of Christ. Yeah. Um, but so I guess that's like my, my preface to it is that I, I've begun to wrestle with and, and really trying to push myself to think like God can be different for different people and, and I need to be okay with that. Like God, they can experience God differently. Um, and I think the thing that's pushed me into where or like how I have mostly experienced God is 
is a mix of being in the Church of Christ since sixth grade, going and getting an undergrad in religion, and then now pursuing a master's in ministry. Um, spending so much time in the academic realm of faith um, where all of a sudden the creation story takes a really cool new theological meaning for me or or the people of Adam and Eve like look different for me and like Adam becomes this cool narrative for Israel's story and then ultimately humanity's story like that to me has kind of been like little like oh wow like God is so big moments um, and it's, it's taken a lot of intentional reading and, and listening to people like Richard Rohr, who some people hate. Um, but if nothing else, the guy makes you think differently. So yeah. I, I appreciate Father Rohr for, for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, where, like, I just have begun to... Um, I think what it is is I've begun to put words to things that beforehand I would have just been like that's a coincidence or mm. or that's just how the world works um, like a good wave was just a good wave whereas now I, I it's like weird for me and I'm trying to push through the, the barrier of it but but now a really good wave is is me saying thanks God for that wave um, rather and, and even just the recognition that that God is present in that or um, trying to because I feel like the Church of Christ have done a really poor job of this um, trying to give space for the Holy Spirit to do things that I don't expect the Holy Spirit to do mm-hmm. um, or that I've never experienced the Holy Spirit doing. Um, I like love the way that they said at the Bible lectures and I've heard uh, the, the minister at UCC say it this way, but he was like, yeah, the Holy Spirit's kind of like this crazy ant that shows up at family gatherings and like Church of Christ people like love, love the ant, like we love her. But we don't really want her there. Like, if, if she doesn't yeah. show up, like, it's okay. The family gathering is, like, calm mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. The table stays clean and neat. Um, but when the aunt shows up, she just kind of wrecks everything. And so we don't love that. We don't love the the lack of control. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of been the biggest thing is, I like, I like being in control. Um, mm-hmm. But but allowing myself to say, I, like, I need to let go. Like, I need to let God be God. Um, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put God in a box, even though I think, Consequently, I do whether I know it or not. Um, I think all people do whether they know it or not. Um, I think we just get caught up in being people and wanting God to be one way. Um, and even letting God be lots of ways, we still end up making God one lots yeah. of ways. Yeah. Um, and so that's like the tough part is, is can I give God the freedom to be God and let let my own freedom go? It's kind of like that, that trust thing in, in the Psalm 22, like, can I can I completely surrender my control or um, my confidence in in how I think God should work mm-hmm. to allow God to uh, for to allow me to experience God in ways that I have not experienced and letting other people's experience play a role in that. Um, I've never spoken in tongues. I don't know what I would do if I started. Like I, I, <laughs> I don't know like how that would affect me. I don't know if I'd be like. I can't go to a church of Christ anymore. Like I've got to leave. I'm not welcomed here. I don't think that would happen, but just hearing other people's experience yeah. of that or prophetic prayer. Like mm-hmm. those are ones that people have said over me and then they go, okay, like what, like what did you get? And I like, sit there and I'm like, um, God loves you. Like, I, I know that. And they're like, oh, and they like seem disappointed. I'm like, crap. Like I've ruined someone's <laughs> faith yeah, now. Yeah, like, yeah. They, like they're so sad, but so just kind of allowing God to be, um, God, regardless of what I expect. Yeah, but. yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing. I mean, I think the thing that I wrestle with the most um, is 
that the academic side of me or the uh, intellectual side wants to um, kind of do a balanced thing. Like I, I want to do the critical task mm -hmm. for me and for everyone else, yeah. right? And yeah. I can't do that for them. It's, it's a journey that we all take. And in many ways, I've kind of come to um, my own uh, evaluation of, of people who, uh, so that I'm trying not to evaluate their spirituality or relationship with God, mm -hmm. but trying to help them go on a journey that I think will help them grow in their relationship with mm -hmm. God. So I'm not gonna impose on them my experience of God, that my way is right, but I wanna challenge moments of certainty. Mm -hmm. So I, I frame it up with these two ideas of certainty and uncertainty. And in many ways, uh, Richard Rohr uh, does a good job of this in Falling Upward, mm -hmm. um, where he talks about kind of the faithful soldier, I think it is, or something like, it's the first half of life, you're creating a container for your identity. And then you have this fall. Sometimes it's you know like a midlife crisis type thing. Other times it's it's a little bit through um, uh, some situations in life that that happen to you or questions that you mm -hmm. come across. Uh, you can't you can't make that fall happen. It's mm -hmm. kind of his his compelling argument. And there are so many people who never end up going into the second half of life. And I, I've been just kind of wrestling with that idea that I think people need to fall out of certainty. Mm, they yeah. need to be okay to surrender their control, however you want to do it. Um, you know, we, we joke in the country about uh, fundamentalists, um, and that can be a term in theology to refer to some people who think certain ways about the Bible or, or mm -hmm. uh, conservative um, theology. But that's also a term that's used in politics um, and I was struck by a prof in college but when he said there can be fun fundamentalist liberals and there can be fundamentalist conservatives and you don't want to mm. be either one yeah right and what I've come to kind of uh, realize is that in those moments there's people who are certain that they are right mm, yeah, yeah, yeah and they may think that you know they may be responding to years and years of dominance where they're saying you know, uh, so for instance, like I think a lot of um, great uh, change has happened through the feminist movement mm -hmm. and feminism. And yet there are definitely some people who've uh, taken that and said, you know, we're right um, and everyone else is always wrong. Mm -hmm. And that level of certainty, I just, I like how disorienting feminism makes. Um, I like the ways that it makes me question that you know, maybe I'm not right because I'm, I've got my mm -hmm. own perspective mm -hmm. and I need to listen to other people's perspectives. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that just the new perspective being introduced to me is automatically 100% mm -hmm. right. Um, so moving from certainty to a, a level of trust in God, a, a dependence on God because I'm uncertain mm -hmm. um, is kind of the move I've explored um, making and I'm trying not to impose that on other people but ask questions mm -hmm. to make them think like are you so certain of your position mm -hmm. it's not that you don't want to be confident in God and in your position and what you think um, I think we should all be confident in you know what we think and believe yeah. Uh, convictions, that's, yeah, yeah. convictions but, but we don't want to be um, so certain because the world is so much more and God is so much more than we can ever explain uh, so it's one of the ways that I'm wrestling with that really hard subjective experience. Like, 
I can't impose this on someone else, yeah. but is what they're experiencing right or yeah, wrong? Yeah. You know, it's like, um, so yeah, that's, it's a good, good spot. Hey, we should wrap up, but I just want to do, um, ask a, a follow-up question to something you mentioned earlier. You've mentioned Richard Rohr. What are some other people, you know, one of the things that adds value to people's life is asking mm. the question, you know, who do you know or who do you read that we should know mm-hmm. and that we should read? Who, um, without getting me in trouble. No, I, I love I love Peter Enns. Um, Bible for Normal People podcast. Bible for Normal People, yeah. If um, you haven't listened to that podcast, you should stop this podcast and go listen <laughs> to his I'll finish podcast. this one. Finish okay, this okay. one and then and then uh, go go check out Pete Enns and Jared Bias. But um, yeah, Pete Enns, um, Richard Rohr. I mean, like staple C.S. Lewis, man. Like yeah, everybody yeah. loves C.S. Lewis sometimes, um, and. It gets me in trouble, but but I, I enjoy Rob Bell, um, yeah, and yeah. just that the questions he makes me ask and and the things that he makes me think, um, and I enjoy his podcast as well because they're just kind of social critiques on on society, and so that's fun. Yeah. Um, and he's an Enneagram Seven, and I'm an Enneagram Seven, so I feel like we bond o- over there that. And I don't even know him, but um, <laughs> those are probably my my top three right now that I, I like to rotate through. So. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks for sharing those. Um, we will definitely have you back on the podcast. I'm, I'm collecting people who have um, discussed the Enneagram with me ah, and sweet. I'm thinking that one of these days we'll take that on as yes, a podcast. There we go. So many people don't know what it is and um, a lot of people have varied levels of love-hate relationship with it. Yep. Um, so that, that should be a fun podcast. We've got several other of our friends, Zach, and a few others that I'm sure will be on that That'd episode, awesome. kind of a, a group podcast on the Enneagram. Sweet. Uh, I don't know if we could get all nine types. We, we could try. We could try. We could try. I know some ones. I know a lot of ones. I know Dusty's a six. We could get, hey, there's there a six. There's I'm a, a six. seven. I'm a three. You're a three. Zach's a one. Uh, Zach doesn't know what he is. Uh, he's so a nine then. He's a nine, I think. <laughs> Although we he, can find it. Yeah, we'll, we'll find out. We'll We're see. not supposed to tell people what they are. What they That's are. True. So That's like I let, one I let Zach like fight yeah, find him. All right, Joel, thanks so much. Thanks, Lars. Thanks for tuning in to Value Add. For more great conversations and insights, visit valueaddconversations.com.